This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For your free trial plus 10% off anything you buy, please visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. A better web starts with your website. Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. Good. Merlin. I think I might have um, accidentally just alerted you to one of my great uh, life hacks, as I call it. Oh, you you, you alerted me to a life hack? Yeah, you could could probably figure it out. You could... uh, Figure it out, yeah. Yeah, okay, all right. Which is I wait until the person is on the Skype and ready to go, and that's when I go pee. Right, because that gives you the longest possible amount of time mm-hmm. to podcast between peas. Yes, yes, and I, I just feel like I don't want my biology, such as it is, to get in the way of your helping people. My biology. Do-ga-do-ga-do-ga-do-ga-do. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, uh, the thing about, um, having to go to pee all the time is that you don't want to get, you don't want to like start, I mean, wait, well, wait a minute. Now I was about to say that you didn't want to do this, but the more I think about it, I feel like maybe you do want to start doing this, Hmm. which is, uh, you need to start thinking about yourself as an astronaut. Oh, you mean like training myself for opportunities? No, I mean like, like, you know, like. Like SR seventy one pilots, right? They 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 were on long missions, strapped into their chair. They had to devise a system by which they could relieve themselves in cockpit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So you're sitting there in your podcasting cockpit. You need to get one of those pilots' friends, pilot helper. Oh yeah. And just like rig it up, just uh, you know, right. you're right. Get you're into right. Your, get into your pressure suit, get rigged up pre-podcast, and then you know what? Whatever happens, you don't. You're not going to take your eyes off the prize. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're podcasting, you're going Mach three. You're going Mach three point five in podcast mock. Yeah, and uh, and it seems to me that you know you learn from day one in the training. It's really it's all about the mission. That's right. Right. Yeah. That's right. Well, I'm halfway there. I don't have a pressurized suit that I'm willing to share, but I... Uh, but you're I, living on a prayer? Yeah, halfway. Mm-hmm. Well, that was pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> that's, that's almost a Merlin manism. Before you, you know, when you were doing the glutens, you couldn't pull them that fast before. No, no, I couldn't. I was, I was you know, at one at 1.2 Gs, I was out of the game. But now I'm pulling 6 Gs sometimes. 6 Gs, you're a mock turtle. I'm a mock turtle. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's been troubling me. I, I here's the thing, you know, human dignity. I've let so yeah. much stuff go just because I know I'll never have dignity. But yeah. there's something about the panic of realizing that there's some very hot, helpful sharing going on, <clears throat> and knowing that you know I could just reach down and grab something like a say a bottle. Mm. I, I don't like to do it, but I've done it. Gatorade bottle, Gatorade bottle. Sure, we'll call it Gatorade. Yeah, yeah but so, something uh, something where you could you know. Keep but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is more. There's there, this is systematized. If you go down to a pilot supply store, and you and you uh, you, you you strike up a conversation with the guy behind the counter, now he's going to be initially suspicious of you because he's going to recognize you don't you're not a pilot. He's going to be like, "What are you doing in here?" He's he's going to smell it on you. Mm-hmm. 
but you, you strike up a rapport with them, and then you say, "So, you know, you, what you're what you're trying to get to is like what he's got under the counter, the pilot friend, the pilot's helper, pilot's friend." Sure, there's going to be stuff like sweatshirts and duffel bags, right? That say NASA that any sucker tourist can come in and buy. Exactly. But if you want a legitimate like Neil Armstrong piddle pad, you're going to have to know a guy. You're going to have to know a guy, or the more I think about it, you could probably just find it on the internet. Yeah. I would go to a pilot supply store. You would probably just find it on the internet. Well, you know, it's probably something like supplements, where you want to make sure you're getting the the best uh, version of it. You want you you want the bet you want the app the Neil Armstrong autographed form fitted. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, C- yeah. Cynthia Plastercaster. Mm. Uh, pilot's friend. Pilot's helper. So they, hmm. this seems like I mean, most of what I know about space travel. Um, is from uh, an episode of The Simpsons, but mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and mythology about the space pen. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I know you don't want stuff floating around that shouldn't be floating around. I've seen Gravity. Right. I saw it in the theater. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. you don't want stuff floating around. That velocity mm-hmm. is going to be problematic. The same is true in your podcasting capsule. Yes, in my, you don't my, want you don't want yeah. little orbs uh, of of uh, like uh, pearls jam mm. floating around the room. Do you think? Hmm. You know, I, I understand. Were you, you about, go, to, were you about yeah. to ask if I think ma- uh, astronauts I masturbate? masturbate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has to be something. It seems to me that, like, I, I remember like reading something about. I think it was Sally Ride, where they were like, "Well, you know, you're going to have your lady time up in space. What Ooh. do you need? Like, like a hundred pads? Like, how many do you need? Like, they were so manifestly <laughs> uncluful about how lady bottom works, mm-hmm, moon wise. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, what did I they guess, do? What did they end up? They just made a whole. They made a suit out of pads. She said, "Just give me a couple of those. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine." <laughs> <laughs> but but you know I I get I you know probably this is true anytime you're in the armed services but especially if you're in astronaut training you got to look past a lot of the things that you'd rather not talk to people about like they right. they need to know obviously if you're going to get diseases they need to know if you get claustrophobia and can't stare at a wall six inches from your face they need to know all of that and, you know but if you're going to the space center the space what's it called the ISS what's it called yeah the second second space second space if you're going to second space <laughs> whether you're mm-hmm. a rusky or a real american yeah. at some point you're going to you're going to need to spend a penny you know what i mean well you or need to uh, you know or will you you just hold it well i think i think i mean that i think that might be one of the things that they train them to do they just hold it i mean think of, i mean well wait a minute right i mean if 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 buzz if buzz aldrin can Take a holy communion on the moon, and nobody finds out about it. What? They gave they gave him space communion. No, he gave himself space communion. Well, it seems like you'd, you'd have you'd have to contact a lot of people at the Vatican to to, to make that official. You, you never you didn't hear that story. No, because then that would I mean, if I understand transubstantiation, which I probably don't, that means right. that Christ was literally on the moon. Christ was fucking well, his body, on the moon. his body and his blood, his body and his blood were on the moon. Do I don't remembrance know. Of me. I'm not. I, you know what? What confuses me is like. You can't use your, you can't like put something in your mouth because your hands have gloves on them. Right. So the so the 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 uh, the wafer would have to be kind of like in your, it'd have to be in your helmet in such a way that you could lean down and stick your tongue out and grab it. Wouldn't they put it in a tube? Well, I don't think I don't think they did anything. But I think but this was Buzz was off the reservation. You're saying he had here. he had a rogue space communion operation going on. He had he had rogue space communion, and we and we didn't find out about it till many years later. And now he expresses regret. He says he's he's regretful about having taken space communion because he feels like going to the moon was on behalf of all humans. Mm-hmm. And he, at the time, sort of did like a you know made it 
made it just for Christians. Mm. He he was there for Christians, and and that's how he thought at the time. Like, oh, I, th- I think he's being awfully hard on himself. Well, you know, I mean, I think that's part of be astronaut training. You got to be hard on yourself. That's, that's and part of two. that is no, number one is you don't pee too much. <laughs> I, or other is, stuff, or other stuff. You got to be hard on yourself, and, yes. and I think part of that is you don't pull one off in space. Yes. Because hmm. because just, I mean, even if you had it all nailed down, even if you were like, even if you had space communion levels of secrecy, what happens if one little, you know, one little something about Mary glob gets away? Yeah. And it's flying around the space station. That's some sensitive equipment, John. You don't, you do not want that in your lander. That's right. That, that, you know what, that will... That will arc. It's introducing viscosity. It's going to be yeah. some awkward. There's expensive phone calls to make. Sure, yeah. and you're, you know, and here comes your Russian space uh, friend. He's coming through the tube, or she's coming through the tube, and you're like chasing your little glob the other direction, and then oh no, look out! So are you saying? Well, are you saying Ugh. we should keep Catholics out of space? Because it seems to me it could be it could be a kind of a mixed blessing. On the one hand, they might try to sneak in some space communion, but on the other hand, they might feel super guilty about space masturbation. I think that it, the that the the ship has sailed. The rocket has launched on mm. Catholics in space. I think it's too late to keep Catholics out of space. I think they're there, and now we just have to make the best of it. Sea of tranquility under the bridge. <laughs> now, what about what about Jews? Have, have there been Jews hmm. on the moon? I think by this point in time, there have not. Well, maybe not on the moon. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see what the internet says about Jews on Jews, the Jews on the moon. Jews on the moon. Uh, Google doesn't come up with anything. Wait, Jews on the moon is a, there's a book called Jews on the moon. Jews on the moon. Huh. Uh, oh, beyond- well, here we go. Wikipedia provides a list of Jewish astronauts. There it is. Uh, Jews on the moon is a series of books. So, oh, the first Jew in space was a cosmonaut. Thank you, Soviet Union. Boris Volyanov. Volyanov. And then uh, the first American uh, Jewish person was a woman. Judith Resnick. And she died in the Challenger disaster. So... Oh, my God. She looks like your type, John. She's very, very pretty. Judith Resnick. Yeah, I'm just saying, though, that's that's a a John profile right there. Look at that. She's a space lady. She's got Mm. that look that you like. She's really a very pretty space lady. You can lose your hand in that hair. Look at that. I'm sorry that she is gone. Yeah. Now from the world, you know my you know my chemistry teacher was like a runner up for that. I told you that, right? Yeah, yeah. She was standing yeah. out there, standing out there. I was like a year after I graduated. It's a really big deal. She'd been in the news. I told you this a million times, but eh, can you just imagine standing there and watching that happen? Standing there at Gulf Comprehensive High School and watching that thing. Uh, and then you got to talk to the media. No good. Ugh. Oh, you know there was a there was an Israeli astronaut on the Columbia. I knew that. Mm-hmm. I knew that already. Other than that uh, one Israeli astronaut and the first cosmonaut, mm-hmm. the first Jewish cosmonaut, every other Jewish person to go into space has been an American. Check your privilege. And there's, there are quite a few, quite a few, I would say. Not not as many. Well, let's try Catholics on the moon. I'm glad we did this because lear- <laughs> I feel like I'm learning. I, just, I, did, not, I did not know this. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I had no idea. Do you think there might be an optimal faith for someone who's going to the moon? I think uh, just like... Uh, if you want to be president of the United States, your chances are better if you are from Virginia or Ohio. Mm-hmm. I think if you are trying to go to space, your chances are better just just statistically if you are a Christian. 
I bet you more Christians than other Pro- Protestant, Protestant Christian. Protestant Christian, mm-hmm. that's right. Uh, I think that's probably just, those are the people who join the Air Force. And those are the, and the people who join the Air Force have a better chance of going to the moon. Hmm. Yeah, now here, the, of course, Catholics on the moon, the first thing we get is Eucharist on the moon, question mark, question mark, on the Catholic Answers Forum. And that is um, probably talking about Buzz Aldrin. Man. And, they're, and they're probably debating it. They're probably, they're probably getting mad. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of rules for how the communion works. I went to <laughs> a, uh, uh, I went to a Catholic wedding over this summer, and I think it's probably still going on somewhere. Have you been to a Catholic <laughs> wedding? I have, like a yeah. full mass. Yeah, it's 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 like a it's like a it's like a marathon. Yeah, well, their their god is the old god, mm. right? They 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 have the old gods. Um, they keep to the old gods, although not the, I I have been not to a Orthodox Christian wedding, but I've been to an Orthodox Christian mass and that stuff, boy, you really feel like you're in the presence of the old gods there. They got some great suits. Amazing suits. They are swinging that, um, that sensor the, of the, the incest uh, thing they inc- swing that around the, the incest around yeah they are swinging it's a, it's it a full body experience i mean you really you get it all you get it all in there and there's a lot at least at the catholic one there's a lot of kneeling and uh i i find it confusing i, I have been a person of christian faith not a catholic but mm-hmm. for my poor uh, six-year-old daughter it was super confusing about when you're supposed to get on the little railing and stuff you know, mm-hmm. you kneel sometimes, you stand sometimes, you sit mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I get it. I get it. I think I can totally understand wanting to go to church and have the, the full-body Christian experience. I think it totally makes sense. Now listen to this. Kevin, astronaut Kevin Chilton, shared the body of Christ with Sid Gutierrez and Bob Cabana hmm. as we floated weightless on the flight deck. Grateful for this moment of comradeship and communion with Christ. That's nice. So they're out there. Uh, they're out there having uh, having the Eucharist in space all the time now. This isn't like a, this isn't a thing that they have to sneak anymore. It's a thing that's just going down. It's not a shameful thing. They probably have a kit. They probably have a chaplain who's empowered to uh, to transubstantiate the kit. Well, now let's say I became an astronaut and I wanted to take peyote mm-hmm. as part of my traditional your Native American heritage. Yeah, my Native heritage. I wanted to have a peyote uh, or like a um, a like sweat, an sweat lodge, maybe uh, an, an ayahuasca ceremony in space. And I made the argument that that was that that was part of my uh, part of my faith. Now, what what is NASA going to say? They're not going to let that. I think happen. They're going to say, "Here's your short sleeve shirt and black tie." <laughs> <laughs> and you, Please and go smoke. Go smoke in front of this monitor. <laughs> you're you're running you're running the space toilets on this mission. <laughs> I, you know, I it's uh, you know I, I I kid. I've seen I've seen space movies. It mm-hmm. Seems like there's a huge amount of sacrifice goes into that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. You When's the last time we when do we when do we stop? Do we stopped in the in what like the mid seventies? What going to the moon? Yeah. Yeah. That's that was all that was all done. All done by the Carter administration, I think, and it makes me mad. It makes me sad. You know, there. You know, you know about the uh, the space elevators, right? The You're hip to space elevators. Space elevator is that a, is that an Elon Musk thing? I, I'm not sure. Elon's actually got his. I think uh, I heard about this. It's a, this is a new new technology. Uh, yeah the, the 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 idea being that you uh, that you, you you go up in space, you put a counterweight up in space, and then you lower a um, carbon fiber ribbon down 
you know, you lower it slowly down through the atmosphere. Like a colonial window? It's got like a weight that goes up and down? Like a, you're talking about a... Like, like a, a double, double, hung, double hung window? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. You lower the thing down and then you, you, you attach it to the earth and then the, the counterweight is in geosynchronous orbit. So it just flies straight above this spot on the ground and the, and the little ribbon is just connected from the earth all the way up into space. And then you can start sending stuff up the ribbon on little, uh, you know, little crawlers, little like, like a little rascal's thing. Where you send something up in a basket and you send down a puppy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then the more stuff you send up into space, you you add it to the you add it to the counterweight, and then the bigger the counterweight is, the more stuff you can send up into space. So I think you attach a little teeny ribbon at first, and then you start sending puppies up. Oh. And you add the puppies to the counterweight. And then, of course, and you're hopefully the puppies are also breeding up there. Yeah, that, God, God willing. Like, and then when you get a big enough, when you get a big enough ribbon to start sending buckets of dirt up there, you just start sending dirt, and you build a planetoid up in space. <laughs> so, so it's a little like the Great Escape. You, <laughs> yeah, you put, yeah. put a little bit, of, just a little bit of dirt in your pockets. That's little, right, little at a time. And I think what what ends up happening is you start building a second Earth, and little by little you take all the dirt from Earth and send it up the ribbon to second Earth, (laughs) and you remake Earth maybe like four miles away from where And then suddenly, someday, boom, we're we're the counterweight. We're we're the double-hung sash. That's right. Then you're the counterweight. Oh, man, that's good. (laughs) Uh-huh, and then I, that's right. The people left on Earth are all crowded around the counterweight, sending puppies back and forth. <laughs> so, and then, so the so the smart idea, of course, is then you make another space elevator from space to the moon, and then you can send stuff back and forth in space between the two counterweights, and you can start mining the moon. Oh wow! That's right. You mine the moon for moon rocks, moon that's, dust. That's a, that's a big project. And then, but the thing is, you're going back and forth between the two space elevators. That doesn't take any fuel, mm-hmm. right? All you have to do is you get a super squirter, and you know, two guys super squirt out the back of one space shuttle, and it, that's all the power you need to get to the other space elevator. Yeah, it's a vacuum. And then everything else is done on elevators, so it, so no more. You don't need rockets anymore. Boy, that that seems pretty plausible. You would just <laughs> you would just need the will mm-hmm. to 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 start the little tiny thread. That's right, and if you can build the interstate highway system, why can't you build space elevators for from the your, moon? From your mouth to Buzz Aldrin's God's ear, my That's right. God! And then, and then, of course, then it's easy to build a big space station, not one of these like crappy little space stations where you have to you're, where you're dodging space. It would be crazy not to at that point. Sure, you build a space station like in 2001: A Space Odyssey, or you build a space station like in that uh, space really 1999. Hard, yeah, that hard to watch uh, movie with the with um with the. Um, Goodwill hunting. Sandra Bullock? No, that was hard to watch, but that other hard to watch one where he was a space commando Mm. and um, Jodie Foster was the king, uh, president of of bad space station. uh, Alien people? Is that contact? First contact? Or is that Star Trek? No, I think the movie was called like Check Your Privilege. It really Uh, was. It was like all the people on Earth were all like, like, um, a Benetton ad and all the people that were up in space were just these, the worst of the whites. Oh, like like and, one of those uh, birthday parties on the Brady Bunch, where it's very carefully uh, segmented with uh, minority groups. Well, that I yeah, I think I think it was it was a case. It was basically if Charles Mudede wrote a space movie. Hmm. Um, it was a yeah, it was a thing where everybody that was left on Earth was poor. 
and had to. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Bad and sad and bad, and they were getting beat. Goodwill Hunting. Check your privilege. Yes, yes. What movie is this? That I don't know. It did not. Super hard to watch. I think I watched it on an airplane, and I was like, "Oh my god, this must have sounded so good in a committee in a in a conference room in Hollywood." There it is. Yeah, Elysium. Okay. So, but there was a very nice rendition of a orbiting space station in Elysium that was like, you know, it looked like a garden space station, mm-hmm. right? Not like the 2001 space station kind of looked like a like a hamster exercise wheel. Mm-hmm. Still pretty nice. Yeah. But there were no like hanging gardens. There were no fountains. Boy, that movie's beautiful. And I feel like making a. I feel like the space station that we want to make has got to have some fountains. It's got to have places where you can masturbate in private. Yes. It's, it's got to be a nice place that you'd want to go. John, it's an American project. It needs to encompass all of our dreams and aspirations. Right. That's right. It's an American project. You should be able to have a victory garden and, uh, and maybe an alcove where you could space masturbate. Yeah, and I think, I think it should be built in the shape of a giant American eagle. Mm. Like an eagle clutching some arrows in one claw, a talon. We just send them up one arrow at a time on the space mm-hmm. elevator. Space elevator. I, I, I mean, and the, the problem is this is the first inkling of a thing where I feel like, oh, man, I was born. I've, I've always felt like I was born too late. I should have been born in uh, 1820 uh, or whatever. But now this is the first thing where I've felt like, Oh, right. The future is just a little bit ahead here of me, and I'm going to be an old man, and they're going to start to work on this garden space station mm-hmm. in the shape of a giant American eagle. Yep. It's going to be called Freedom Station, Homeland Freedom Station, and I'm going to be too old to, to dig it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I wish I was, I wish I was born right now. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be the right age to be like Space Station Johnny. Mm-hmm. Hey, and, and the thing is, you think about how many things happen. We, all, we see this all the time now, where somebody comes up with something everybody thinks is a squirrely idea, or like, you know, a dangerous idea, mm-hmm. and they stick with it, and they make it, you know, it could be something like the Wright Brothers, it could be something like an iPhone app, but you come up with something that everybody thinks is implausible, suddenly it's plausible. At some point, it goes from plausible to like, this is kind of a good idea, to like, wow, most of the heavy lifting for something potentially cool is already done, and that's when all those jackals dive on it. They want to take it over. So the space elevator, by the time they have a viable ribbon going up into space, you're going to have a lot of these jackals jumping on that and wanting to take it over and corporatize it. You you, you put up an ad, you have in-app purchases, and then that changes the whole uh, the whole tenor of the uh, project. Well, what I worry about you is could be an that... ombudsman. You could be an ombudsman for the space elevator, or the, spa- or the space freedom eagle. <laughs> my my worry, of course, is that once you get a space elevator going and everybody sees, oh wow, okay, that works, then they're, it's gonna, it's not that hard to put one up there, right? So then there are going to be space elevators everywhere, everywhere you look, and then the Earth is going to start looking like a hairy ball. <laughs> Because it's space elevators, you know, it's good. the Earth's going to look like it has dreadlocks. Because space elevators are going to be popping up everywhere. Every oh, Tom, Dick, and Harry is going to throw a space elevator up from their house. Yeah. And it's going to be like Minecraft. It's going to be a thing where you get on your phone and you send more stuff to space. You right. try to build up the counterweight. Right. Get people right. to support it. Maybe you work with other people. And then, you know, this guy over here has got a big counterweight. That guy over there has got a little counterweight. What's going to happen? You think that you think the big counterweight guy is just going to sit there while the little guy builds up his counterweight? No, there's he's yeah. going to like preemptively attack the little guy, his next door neighbor. He's going to cut the ribbon or whatever, steal his counterweight. 
There's going to be a lot. That's right. Once that stuff's up in space, it's it's got a lot of value. It costs yeah, a lot. You're going to see um, numerous instances of uh, weight jacking. Right. You're going to. There's going to be weight jacking. There's going to be uh, ribbon cutting. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a whole new dimension of competition and and war. And how are you going to regulate that? You're going like, to have terrorists trying to cut people's ribbons. Sure. Espionage ribbon cutters and and weight jackers. The thing is, if somebody cuts a ribbon, right, then the weight. Then, then their counterweight is what? Like public domain? First guy to get to the to the unattached counterweight gets to glom that counterweight onto his counterweight? You get like a, a, a weight pirate. You need some, some space guys to go out and collect the counterweights. See, now there's a job that I could do, weight pirate. Oh, he'd be great at that. Right? You'd have your own like Millennium Falcon type thing. And just, ja- just jamming around, jacking people's weights. <laughs> And like selling the weights to the highest bidder, glomming on weights. Oh, the I can totally is, see that. Like bounty, I mean, like bounty hunters. You could have cable shows about the guys who are weight jacking, mm-hmm. or, or or ribbon snatching. And the, and I think probably. So anyway, then the next thing you want to do is start jacking uh, meteorites. Hmm. You want to be start meteorite jacking because I think a lot of those meteorites have water on them, right? Frozen water. Okay. In the in, in meteorites and comets and stuff. Yeah. So then, once you graduate from like counterweight jacking, turn into a meteorite. Oh, meteorite. You, meteorite get, you, get cowboy, rogue, you get a rogue meteor, and that's like a trip to the bodega. Now you don't have to make. You can get yeah. the water from that and the resources and stuff that you could use for your. Uh, for your yeah. So you jump on a meteorite. I think a meteorite is something that's hit the earth. I think it's a meteor. Oh, okay. So you jump on a meteor. And you saddle up, saddle it up somehow. You put some rockets on it, little rockets like like uh, like like super soakers. And then you're then 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 you, you basically harness it, and then you're you're jamming around on this meteorite, giving people you know selling water, water also being of course rocket fuel, yeah. space fuel because you put in your super soaker. Well, not only that, but hydrogen and oxygen, right? You can burn the shit out of those. Yeah, it's things. got both. Ugh. Oh, you so, can, you see, can, uh, see? see what I'm saying? This is way more exciting than the life we're living now. <sighs> Jesus Christ, John. There's so many cockamamie ideas that have been that have been propped up over the years because they were either interesting or had some money in them. I can't believe that the space program has not been allowed to get super freaky. It's a real bummer. It's su- such a bummer, and it's a it's again, it's another example of the fact that the people that are running things are the dummies. Mm-hmm. The dummies are running things, and now, thank God, we got Elon Musk, who's like, you know what? I'm not a dummy. I'm making I'm making invisible cars. I'm going to build space elevators. Like Elon Musk, who knows what that guy is thinking right now? He is basically, he's basically the Emeril Lagasse of uh, of 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 uh, space cars. See the guy who says bang. Yeah, he's the bang guy. He's okay. just like bang. You know what I mean? He's got like <laughs> ideas. He's 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 putting some seasoning on there. Bang. Uh-huh. That is Elon Musk. He is the he's the he's the chef. He's the Louisiana chef of getting things exciting happening. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's amazing how close it is to like a super genius super villain though. Like you really you want somebody who's thinking two or three steps ahead. You don't want some guy who goes, "Oh, well, I'll make a green car." That doesn't need to be recharged. We've got that. You know, yeah. we want yeah, somebody thanks, who's sticking guy. way, way, way ahead of this. Thanks, who's... Mr. Behind the Curve. 
Guess what? Guess what? Elon Musk is doing right now. Something way more far out and freaky. He's buying a lot of space ribbon. Wait a minute. Now here's a question for you: Is Elon Musk a pan man? Oh, isn't he European? Well, he's got a weird. Oh, South African. He's oh, so- South African. South African-born Canadian American business magnate. It says here. So he was born in Pretoria. Is he a pan man? I don't think he's a pan man. I think Richard Branson is much closer to a pan oh, person. Oh, right. He's pretty panny. He's panny. He gets, he gets photos of himself on jet skis with ladies. But I'm looking at Elon Musk, and I'm picturing a chin beard, and it's not hard to picture. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, like he, might be a, he might be a shaved pan man. I think... Um, I don't want to upset anybody, John, but I got to tell you, I think, you know, German accent still reads a certain way to Americans. Mm -hmm. I think the much more evil sounding accent to me is the Dutch accent. Mm -hmm. Or the Dutch accent as, as transmogrified through the South African. Oh yeah. Yeah. When you hear this, when you hear those guys talk, man, did you ever see that, uh, that, uh, movie with the giant bugs from South Africa? What was it called? This Dis- District Nine? Is that what it's called? I did. I did see it, and it was an example of a movie that I I I, I really liked the writing. I liked the premise. I liked everything about it, except the design of the space bugs hmm. was to me um, biologically Im- implausible slash impossible. The the prawns, like, the prawns, they the call prawns, them. like the the skeletal structure of them seemed to have been designed by a video game comic book artist mm. and not by somebody that had a grounding in biology. And so it was like, I did not feel from the moment they came on screen that anything would actually evolve in that shape. It mm. felt like a thing that was designed by a teenager to look cool rather mm-hmm. than designed by somebody who primarily was thinking, how would a thing evolve if a prawn was going to become bipedal how would how would that look and it would i did i did not feel like it would look like that and so the whole movie which i otherwise enjoyed every time those things came on screen i was like you know what no yeah. no fuck you didn't you. You think the little baby was cute uh, little baby prawn you know cute baby prawns <laughs> not that's not why i go to movies yeah you know when 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 the alien came on the screen in the, uh, the titular alien, the titular alien in the film Alien, like maybe not, maybe not any more plausible, but but at least believable, realistic, right? You looked at it and you were like, Ugh, "Yes, I could see this is kind of like a cockroach, lizard, dinosaur, dragon, H.R. Geiger <laughs> dragon." Yeah, but very, very otherworldly. Otherworldly, scary, but also like the things about it that were scary were like were were meaningfully scary. It was slimy. It had it had teeth and then more teeth. Like you know, it it felt like a thing that 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 could live. Yeah. But the prawns in District Nine felt like not a. It felt like a CGI. Fake monster. Yeah, and you know, lots of people have talked about this, especially with regard to things like Alien and Jaws. But one thing that makes those kinds of monsters so successful is that they don't get that much screen time. Mm-hmm. You don't get that much time to see them in the baking hot sun of Johannesburg mm-hmm. for 15 minutes at a time. And there's something much more, I mean, so much scarier in some ways that you so, I mean, there's, I think there's that one scene at the end 
where she's in her underwear, where you can kind of see what the thing looks like, and it kind of looks like a guy in a suit. You're talking about uh, Alien? An Alien, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, the, there, there's nothing about the Jaws shark that looks like a shark when you look at it, right? It looks like a it looks like a looks paper like a bath, mache looks shark. Like a bath toy. Yeah. And uh, and yet, that's a scary movie. Yep. Scary movie. They had lots of technical problems with the uh, various sharks. Yeah. Yeah. It was a huge uh, thing. I've read the IMDb. Have you? frustrating <laughs> you know my problem with the district nine guy is not his face it's not his it wasn't the personality of the guy it wasn't the little lobster claws it was the joint between the backbone and the hip bones right that kind of like exaggerated uh you know where the pelvis the pelvic bone into the into the hips mm-hmm. it just looked like it looked like they had designed a thing, and then they tried to make it cooler by cantilevering its uh, its hips mm, in a I way that was just up. like, you know what? That was not necessary, and I, it's not, and I don't like it. It's not believable. I like the angle of the guy getting the hand, though. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like a little bit like, uh-huh, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it, robot, ro- robot, uh fetishist mm-hmm. well you know just just so you're ready when your daughter's old enough mm. uh the ants in a bug's life mm. i got four limbs the ants have four limbs yeah well that's like it's like a jerry seinfeld ant right it's like a cross it's a it's a crossbred crossbreed <laughs> what half jerry seinfeld half ant uh, uh you might be confusing it with ants with the z which i think oh. is the woody allen version of bug's life so there's there's bug lives and there's ants. I think there was a, you know this happens sometimes. Which one sometimes. has Jerry Seinfeld? Um, I think it's definitely pretty definitely not a bug's life. Okay. That's you got you got your Kevin Spacey's, you got your Dave Foley's. Oh, you know who you got is you got Elaine from Seinfeld is in it. Oh, she's okay. the she's the uh, the princess ant. Uh, bug's life is pretty great. It's a pretty great movie, but like you know, even though I, I like to think of myself as not being that guy, I, I still kind of wish they had you know six legs. Oh, I see. I thought you were going to say you wish they had Jerry Seinfeld in it. I wish it was an exactly anatomically correct Elaine Bennis. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I cannot, I can't watch movies. Yeah. Because they're so disappointing. They're e- so even disappointing. Ones, ones with lots of buzz or just in general? Just, I mean, the other day I went to see a movie. I went to see the movie The Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, you better not say a bad word. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. You didn't like it? I thought it was great. Oh, my God. I loved it. I wanted to watch it again the second it was over. It was really, really great. And <laughs> Don't it call was, me a thesaurus. <laughs> it was an example of a movie that was great because it was, it was great at every level. And the writing was just good. It was just good. And the casting was good. And when I see a movie like that, where and I know everybody has the same experience, when you see a movie like that, you go, well, why is it, if you can do that, then why isn't every fucking movie like this? I know. There are tens of thousands of people in Hollywood making movies. Is it really true that only like four of them are smart? Or 
or what? Like, all you have to do is see a movie like that and go, okay, well, that, that's what we should be doing. That's what all movies should be like. Right. So go for it, everybody. That's your standard. If your script isn't as funny, at least as Guardians of the Galaxy, then throw it in the garbage can and don't make the movie. But, it, but, but you get one, what do you get? One Guardians of the Galaxy every five years, 10 it's, years? It's, it's, you know, I'm a big Marvel fan and, um, our family has seen all of the mini Marvel movies many, many times. We've seen the, you know, the, the X-Men movies, the Spider-Man movies. Not the Spider-Man. My daughter's not as into the Spider-Man ones. But we've seen all the X-Men movies numerous times. We've seen all the Iron Man movies. I love the, the Captain America movie. But it's weird how, like, the movies that I think are most successful of the Marvel movies are the more slight ones. Yeah. Like the first Thor movie, which some people really hate. I, I thought was hilarious because they take the Mickey out of Thor. You know, he's not, he's not just pretentious. When he's pretentious, it's funny. Or like, you know, obviously the first Iron Man movie is really great. But like, you know, the Avengers is still, it's really, really good, but it's really fucking long. And it's, it's kind of three movies. It's long and it's, it's very self-serious. The whole middle part, like for a long time, we don't do this as much now because we don't watch it as much but when we were watching a lot we would watch basically up to the point where they start arguing with each other mm-hmm. skip the entire middle like hour and mm-hmm. then go straight to the chitari attacking because that's <laughs> where the you know where the fun is well except that i felt like that was the first in a long series of movies where hundreds of thousands if not millions of people died in collateral damage and oh, very little attention was paid to them well you know hawkeye and black widow are on the ground trying to help but you know what's funny mm-hmm. is if you uh some weak ass characters on the ground running around trying to save easy text two or three babies <laughs> let me, let me while, open that bus window uh, for you while 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 bil- whole buildings full of people are tumbling that's down. a lot of people's beef with uh with superman you know because superman oh, well, that, i couldn't even watch that we that walked was, out we walked out that was it. so terrible it was a terrible movie but, but the it, but the, the one i want to contrast guardians of the galaxy with is that pretty terrible hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy movie mm. which had if it, as i was watching guardians of the galaxy i was like this is exactly the tone can, can i ask that, a question point of information yes go Just ahead going into this like you, you get that that those are super peripheral characters historically how familiar were you with the characters and the general mojo of thanos and all that how familiar were you with that part of the marvel mythology let me put it to you this way merlin what's nice for me about the marvel comics universe is that they are all peripheral characters to me This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by our very good friends at Squarespace. They are the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. They make the whole process so simple. Believe me, I know. They have an easy drag-and-drop interface with beautiful free templates you can tweak to suit your needs. You don't even have to be a CSS jockey. It's all just there. All the Squarespace 6 designs are responsive. They look great on every device. And Squarespace also offers free 24-by-7 support through live chat and email with teams in New York City, Dublin, and Portland. Guys, I love Squarespace because they take care of all the hard and annoying stuff about running a website, I promise you. There is a lot of hard and annoying stuff about running a website. But with Squarespace handling all the front end, the back end, the integration design, the SEO, you name it, you are free to spend your time doing nothing but putting up great stuff, your great stuff, your writing, your photos, your store, your life. It is the best. The beauty part is Squarespace plans start at only $8 per month. That includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Please tell Squarespace that you heard about them from your pals here at Roderick on the Line. Listeners of this show get a free trial, plus 10% off any package they choose, by using the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout. 
Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the line. We could not do it without him. Including Wilberforce. When I went to see the Avengers, I was like, where's the stretchy guy? When does the stretchy guy come in? And the Silver Surfer. Why isn't the Silver Surfer here? Like, uh, like peripheral comic characters are everybody that's not Spider-Man and Batman to me. Like, even Green Lantern seems... Oh, like, yeah, he's, he's super peripheral. Or whatever. I mean, like, and yeah, I totally. couldn't tell. And the thing is, like, Hodgman spends a lot of time trying to school me on the difference don't between... Don't get him D- started on Darkseid. Don't, don't ask Darkseid versus Thanos. Don't get him started. Yeah. And I'm like, which one has... Which one has <laughs> the Julie Doucette comics in it? Because I don't give a fuck. Okay. So when I went to see the Avengers, <laughs> when I went to see the Avengers, I was like, okay, all these people are in the same world. All right. And there's a flying aircraft carrier. And then uh, the guy from Pulp Fiction's in this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of like, uh, this guy's from the, this guy's from World War II. And this guy's from another, he's a god on another planet. Like, Wow, you guys will really watch anything. So when Guardians of the Galaxy came out and I was reading all the all the stuff and they were like, these are some really peripheral characters. I was like, oh my God. Ugh. If you know, and when I saw the raccoon, I was like, if why isn't this raccoon the star of all media? <laughs> why is every movie not about this raccoon? And 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 the uh, and the dude, the um Groot. the not well, not Groot. No, Groot. Groot was interesting. I liked Groot. I, there was never. I never had a problem with. The, but the the dude, the uh, Star Lord, the, the Star Lord, like the casting of this guy when he first appeared on screen, I was like, oh, here's a he's a pretty boy actor. Well, that's that guy from that thing. <laughs> he's 28 years old. He was yeah, uh, and then I realized he was uh, the guy from Zero Dark Thirty, which is a movie that I really oh, like. Oh wow. You're right. He played the Navy SEAL in Zero, Zero Dark Thirty. I think of him as the, the doofy guy from uh, Parks and Rec. Well, see, I have never watched that show, except I've seen it on an but airplane a couple of He usually plays a doofy guy. He plays a doofy guy. Well, but in, 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 uh, in um, Zero Dark Thirty, he played... He was the he was the guy that gave me the real insight into Navy SEAL culture that I did not have before. Okay. That, that great line that she says when they're like, they're 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 looking at the Black Hawk helicopter at Area Fifty One, and they're like, "What's the plan?" And she and and the CIA lady says, "You know what? I didn't even want to use you guys with your dip and your Velcro and your zip straps." And they they all kind of look at each other like she's she's slamming the Navy SEALs as being a bunch of redneck dipweeds, and I was. I was so excited by that scene in the movie. I was like, yeah, the CIA gal is calling the Navy SEALs a bunch of dipweeds. I love it. And and they really played, and this guy in particular played that character of like, he's, he is the, the, he's America's like, the, he's the tip of the spear, but he's also a redneck dipweed. And that makes so much sense to me that the tip of our spear is uh, uh, are a bunch of dipweeds. Yeah, I you really get the appreciate sense that, that they're all they're all really smart at dealing with the implementation, but mm-hmm. you wouldn't want to ask them a lot of super high level strategy stuff. Yeah, they're great at like working the gears of the of the gizmos that they've been given. They're basically exactly the people that I imagined populating the world of Cobra in the GI Joe universe mm. back when I was fighting 
little wars between G.I. Joe and Cobra in my bathtub. Long past the point where I should have stopped playing with those toys in the early 80s. Anyway, long way of saying that that, that, that that particular actor cast in that role, he had all of the kind of like swagger, like, like kind of dumb swagger of Han Solo, but he was just, he was just like, he was charmingly dumb, but then he also like was a good, good fighter and a good, he was a funny actor. I just thought that movie was wonderful. Zero Dark Thirty. That one, but also Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, right, right. And, and, and so I, and I felt like, like part of part of my problem with our culture is this insistence on all these fantasy universes that feel kind of charmless and even gormless. Like yeah, this is really a this is a world you want to live in. This this right. fantasy world. Wait, over we, here? way overthought, way over engineered. And but I mean, with Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, it's you know, I was really looking forward to it because I like the comic. Um, I, I like this. The characters are, are very fun to me, and my, my daughter loves them. But you know, it was such an improbable. Like when you've slogged through something like Iron Man 3 or whatever it's like you know it's good i mean robert downey jr has redefined that character he's great he's so i don't know if you've seen any of those but the first one's like particularly really good but you know really well done but like this improbable uh combination of characters even comic fans may not be familiar with with this totally wackadoodle you know uh far out cosmic story that's kind of hard to follow um the casting the script the script, which had, if it had been a little bit more clever, would have been too clever. Too clever. That's right. Like, I, and there was never, there was never a moment in the film because I'm always watching. Yeah. Uh, for the moment where, in order to make something happen in the script, they violate some core laws of gravity or, or, like, of or like how people actually communicate and right. things like that. Right. And and, 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 and at no point in the script did anybody have to violate any universal laws. It all just seemed like, sure, of course, like there's some fantastical stuff happening, but I am, I believe in gravity still. I believe in, uh, I believe that light uh, uh, goes fast. Yeah. But I, also there's some people like, I think about people like John Woo or, um, uh, what's his head? Guillermo del Toro. There's mm. these certain kinds of directors that make these movies that are on the face of a completely implausible, mm. but I buy into it because they pull it off. They pull off what they intended to pull off, which is this crazy adventure. And like in this movie, even through, you know, the last, maybe the end of the, of the second act gets a little bit of a slog with the friendship and the friendship. But you know what? I buy it. I buy Do it because I was like bought into the story. Do you like karate movies where people are walking on top of trees? Yes. You like karate movies where people jump up in the air and are capable of flipping around six times? I, I When they're well done. If you watch something like, uh, not even just Crouching Tiger, but something like Ip Man or something like, yeah, I do. I like those mm-hmm. kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. When they're done well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, uh, or there's one called um, Hero. Have you ever seen Hero? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I recommended that to you. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. one that I think really stands out. What's, yeah, what's, what's, what's your feeling on those wire, what do they call them, wire walking, wire training movies? <laughs> Well, you know, the, the, when I saw Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, that was the first time I ever saw somebody, uh, uh, like, it, a, and saw it as a plot point that using the ancient Chinese secrets, you could conceivably, like, walk out on the You could, the like, end. sashay across, yeah. all, uh, like, intangible uh, uh, like, objects. To, to the top of a 40-foot, like, 
thing of bamboo and just stand up on the top of it on top of a leaf. And I was like, whoa, okay. I, if, you know, if I'm going to watch a, a movie with wizards in it, that isn't any greater of a suspension of disbelief than this. So I am, a, I'm along for the ride. Like, absolutely. I liked that movie a lot and I was along for the ride. But what it did was it opened the floodgates for every action movie to have just normal people where no supernatural skill is involved. Uh, able oh, like to, where, you, where because you're angry enough and care enough, you can suddenly win a bar fight with five guys? Or you can jump 60 feet from one building to the next, or you can run up a wall and flip over, kick two guys in the middle of the air, fire your guns, and, you know, and land on a... And then land on a piece of bamboo, and yeah. all you are is Bruce Willis. And it's like, mm, no, no, that is... That is that has that crouching dragger, crouching dragger, hidden dragon, introduced into in the same way that the Matrix did, introduced into the world a filmmaking technology that was immediately adopted by people with no imaginations, right? And and it just turned that whole genre into kid garbage, kid garbage that we're feeding kids that are turning them into garbage adults. Mm-hmm. Kid garbage, Kid where garbage. people believe people believe things people believe things are real that are not real. Well, I, th- I think of a little. I, I've said this before, but I think of it a little bit like a Joni Mitchell problem, mm. where like you know, man, uh, I if you can't get into Joni Mitchell's album Blue, like I can't help you because I think mm. it's just about perfect. But for the love of Christ, think about how many dozens and dozens of people. Like, or Buffy St. Marie or whoever, somebody with that trilling like folk style picked it up, and you're like, just please stop doing that. Please, it's it, somebody's done it. They've done it very well. You can learn from that, but please stop doing that. Please sure. stop doing that. Don't you think? Well, I have this problem a lot because I'm I'm often asked to consult with young songwriters. Right? People say, "Hey, I've got this young songwriter, and I would love you to listen to their demo and talk to them." And the number one. My number one thing that I that I have when listening to demos is, and and oftentimes I will be I will be very pleasantly surprised. Twenty year old singer who has great songs, interesting lyrics, really good song structure. The number one thing I say is, please stop singing like that. Why are you singing like that? Like a, an affected style. And and every young vocalist now is singing in an affected style, either really preffy or all the way back in the back of their throat or like with the trills or kind of, you know, 60s folk or what, or like they, none of them can just sing in their voice because no contemporary singers sing in their voice or very few. Most of the people that they're trying to affect, um, we're singing in some version of their voice. You know, I mean, some, somebody who was doing that, trying to just strict, like straight up ape Jim Morrison, you know, wouldn't have caught on. You've got, you've got to have your own take on that. Right. But that is no longer true. Like, like music now is, is such a, um, a jigsaw puzzle of influences. And the, and, and I'm fine with that in the songwriting and I'm fine with that in the production of albums. But, but I'm astonished that, Singer after singer after singer uh, come to me with 
these voices that are just like, you are just pretending to sing like somebody. And they will look at me very earnestly and say, like, that's my style. What are you talking about? Like, that's the key to my whole style. And they really do feel like that of all the things that they were hoping that I would tell them to change of all the things that they are willing to change mm-hmm. their vocal affectation is the is what they think is their style and you know and for myself when i think back to my early days of singing like sometimes i wish i had affected my vo- voice a little bit more because i hear guys all the time my age who sing with a little bit more gravel in the voice and I go, yeah, if I had a little bit more of that, maybe I would be more, maybe I would be part of a tougher tradition, which is something I kind of... I can't think of anybody that you're singing tough. reminds me of. When, when people compare the Long Winters to other bands, I'm frequently flummoxed, because I, yeah. I just don't, I don't hear it either in the songs or in the stuff. There was that, somebody, maybe it was that terrible all music review a million years ago, was saying he sounded a lot like R.E.M. And mm-hmm. I, I can hear some R.E.M. in, like, some R.E.M. in instrumentation, mm-hmm. but I, I don't hear it at all in the songwriting or the performance. No. And, you know, and Michael Stipe is an example of a guy who's singing like himself. I mean, you know, that he sings, he sounds like him. Right. I think um, Bono. I think Bono had a big influence. I think there's still a lot of people today that are... I mean, it just seems like there's so many people today that really are selling. They're still doing a version of Bono circa War. Hmm. I mean, like, well, that's like you know Coldplay or like The Killers uh-huh. or like somewhere between like Bono and maybe a little bit of Morrissey. There uh-huh. is a certain kind of plaintive style that is way above the caliber of the music and the lyrics in terms of its affect. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's, you know, and that's like what people hear is the sound of stadium rock. But the, the, the one that confuses me, I think, is, that confuses me the most is the Joni Mitchell voice or, I mean, I understand the Christina Aguilera voice because that is a kind of, that's a, a version of stadium rock, I guess. You know, like, like where it feels like, the song isn't very interesting, so let's put in a lot more notes. Like acrobatics and sizzle. Yeah, let's go from one note to the next. I think Mariah Carey really, notes. really helped yeah. pioneer that. Yeah, she was the, she was the, uh, she's the original war criminal. <laughs> but, uh, but the, but the, the weird folk, like the Joni Mitchell voice, the like super in your head voice, the way, way back in the back of your throat voice. You know, the up in your nasal cavity voices. These are the ones where it just feels like, why, what are you afraid of? Why don't you just sing like in your voice? And I mean, time and time again, I'm just looked at with these blank faces until I kind of am inhibited now to even say something. When I hear somebody singing in a fake voice, it feels like one of those things where I'm the guy from old fashioned town. I was like, why are you singing in your fake voice? They, they were and expecting then, you to sit down with pencil and paper and talk about couplets and, and minor chords? Like, yeah. Like, look just, at the song, how the song could be stronger, better bridge, that kind of thing? And I definitely do that type of thing. But the, but the, the, thing, that, in, the thing that keeps me out of, the, of their music more often than not is just that they're doing it in this style. And I mean, and I guess if you were a, if you were a young metal singer in 1980 and you came out and went, ha! Like that was 
the style of the music you were making and you perceived that to be necessary to the music you were trying to do. And so it was in the style that you, you thought you belonged. Maybe not how you would have sung if you had come up in a perfect vacuum, but but these weird folk voices and weird head voices that people sing in now, I don't, I guess maybe it's either that I don't perceive, I don't see a, a, a musical vein or a tradition that, uh, that, that maybe they see. Maybe they see themselves as descendants of, of Joni Mitchell in a way that is like incomprehensible to me. I'm not sure, but this, this intrudes more often than not. And, and back in the indie rock days, it was just that everybody was whispering. All the, all the boy singers were singing quiet and fey. I think, yeah, like you think about the stuff that came along, and again, I haven't followed music closely in a while, but in the 2000s, I'm thinking of like an iron and wine, mm-hmm. kicking it off kind of, you know, real whispery, um, or even, but you know, but then you also get stuff like you get the Mark Geitzels and you get the, um, the, you know, the Red House Painters and that kind of stuff which was much more like plaintive, but that kind of became a thing when you were mm-hmm. first putting out records was the mm-hmm. whole whispery bearded guy. Yeah, it did. It did. And it's still and kind I, of a thing, right? Yeah. I was now, I was not ever really, uh, I, I obviously I loved some of that music, but I did not feel akin to it because it felt like, why are you doing that? Some of it's pretty gimmicky. Yeah. Right. And, and, and it, it, it has, I mean, it's not as bad as the Eddie Vedder voice. But it just feels like, would, is this song, would this song, if you just sang it straight, would it still be an emotional song? Right. If not, then singing it, you know, like you are whispering it through the, through the electrical outlets in your prison cell <laughs> to, your, to the guy in the prison cell next door, like, I'm... I, it's just it's a it's a song about fucking nothing in the first place. So so whispering it to make it seem intense is pretty lame. And they're probably very grateful for your input, though, right? The young people. <laughs> Everybody wants to hear what I think. Thank because, you, John. Thank you course, for your help. The number one thing that young people want to hear <laughs> is the advice of a guy whose band they've never heard of, <laughs> who is old, and who does not phrase things very nicely. That's what young people want. You can always go to Chris Walla anecdotes. <laughs> Nobody knows who he is anymore. Oh, like, snap. Like anymore, uh, uh, the, the young people, uh, you know. It uh, moves fast, had, John. It's moving really fast. We've had this conversation before. They only listen to electronic dance music now. They do not care about rock. Yeah. They don't care about guitars, Merlin. Yeah. The guitar is the clarinet of 2025. <laughs> I was watching a BBC documentary on Love Me Do. It's it's kind of it's kind of about 1962. It's kind of about the leading up to and the making of and release of Love Me Do. Mm-hmm. And they were reading back some of the um rejections that Brian Epstein <laughs> got from the labels, which I'm sure you you've seen and heard, but you know, the Beatles the Beatles will never succeed in pop music. Guitar music is on the way out. Mm. You know, they were wrong that once, but I mean, they were wrong today, then, but yeah. But now you get a power book and you show up and you take your shirt off and dance around a little bit. There was a time when the violin was the number one instrument mm. and not anymore. And there was a time when it was the clarinet and not anymore. And young people look at guitars and they're like, yeah, I can make every single sound that a guitar can make on my iPad with the 25 
programs I have, and I don't even like the sounds guitar makes, so why would I do it? Here's what I want to hear. <laughs> put, put that through your DSer. Boom. Oh, sorry. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'll DS it. Will you go back and retroactively DS everything? I don't think I even know what that sounds like anymore. I, I know I'm bewildered. I'm bewildered when I put on the radio sometimes. Sometimes I get it. Sometimes I get it and I enjoy it. I, I learn about music now mostly from trailers to movies. Because we'll go mm. and my daughter and I will see a movie. Every kid's movie now, in the trailer, you hear some kind of a hit song, you, often involving someone called Pitbull. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you, you, hear, you hear a Pitbull. Katy Perry, Katy Perry. as produced by, by Pitbull. She seems like she's got some chops. Katy Perry? She seems like she's pretty heavily processed. Mm-hmm. About she's sizzle. Got- She's got some heavy. She's got heavy chops. I should watch that movie. Which one? Uh, oh, there's a lot about her on uh, heavy chop. Heavy chops. Yeah, uh-huh. Ron Jeremy. Yeah, I, Katy Perry is one of those uh, people that empirically uh, ticks a lot of boxes for me. If you looked at somebody and were like, D- "Does she have dark hair?" I don't yes. have a problem with Katy Perry. I got to tell you, I, uh, you of all the eyes? people, yeah, big eyes, uh, big bazooms. Mm. Good dancer, yeah. Funny, funny she videos, dance. yeah. But I do not. But uh, but I just I feel like she's not a she's not a hundred percent of a real person or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you do you remember that show? Um, uh, Everybody uh, likes Raymond. Yes, yeah, sure. You know the wife in that show? Yes. Is that, that Leah? Leah? Leah Thompson? No, no. It's a, it's a Scientologist lady, right? Oh, she's a Scientologist. Let me double check. Sorry, I should. I should no, you know what? <laughs> We're going to cut all this out. You know what? But that may be it. That may be what I'm talking about because she's an example of a, of a TV star that I would look at. I would watch that show and I would look at her and I would say, am I attracted to you? Oh, I'm thinking of, uh, I think I'm thinking of uh, King of Queens, maybe. Oh, I'm very attracted to her. She's a Scientologist for sure. She's the one that tried to find, tried to find out what was going on with David Miscavige's uh, wife. Remember? That's right, and that's and that bounced her out of Scientology because uh, they were so they were so mad that she they were so mad at her that it changed her religion. Mm. Because wow, right? Yeah, but even if they let you stay in, you got to like go go live in a mobile home and scrub toilets and stuff. You read that, you read that book, right? Yeah. Do you okay. notice how often that happens, though, that somebody will leave a religion only after the people in that religion get super mad at them? It's Yes, it's crazy that like you could be such a true believer for so long in something that is so... We're, you know, it's way beyond all your family going, oh my God, what has happened to you? We're like, you're, even when, when you become just a little bit of an insider, just what you would know about that shit and still be hanging on to it, it, must ta- it takes a lot to get somebody <laughs> to want to leave that. It's really weird, don't you think? It's pretty weird. It it doesn't. The thing, the reason that I'm interested in it is I'm I'm trying to figure out exactly how to structure my own culty uh, religion slash um, futuristic society. You got to think ahead. There's a lot of planning, and you want to get the scale right. For example, don't say that OT three is the highest you could go. Now, luckily, that's a numerical system, right? right. So you can always add. You get you add the four. four. I think for a long yeah. time, three was as high as you could go. And then they discovered. Like a in a cavern, LRA started at, and he added like uh, bonus levels. You fight out, you fight a boss Scientologist, and you move up. You become a four. You so get he was still alive. He was still alive at that. Point. He was still strapping on uh, levels. I think when he was living on the boat. Yeah, yeah. Boy, that's, well, a, hell, yeah, that's so a hell of a book. The uh, you're talking about the big book, Dianetics. Yeah, you know, I never read it. Never read. Go read Going Clear. I didn't read Dianetics. 
Watching that movie with the uh, with the old <sighs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. Yes. I uh, was um, I was impressed with his portrayal of uh, Elrond as being somebody who just got really petulant like a big diaper baby. <laughs> Whenever somebody pointed out even the smallest that sort scene of with the doctor, yeah. we should mention for legal reasons that that is a Ramona Clay. He is not portraying <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard, and we're grateful for the support of the Scientologist community. Thank you very much. That's right. Thank you to all our Scientologist listeners. Now, would you want a Scientologist on the moon? Don't overthink do you, it. Do you, what, do, would I want one? Well, would that be a good faith to send to the moon? Sure. They're, of course. You know what? Their eyes are open. If you've reached, and I don't want to say too much because it's copyrighted material, but I think if you get to an OT5 and OT6, you're going to be ready for all, seeing all kinds of shit that most people would be really blown away by. Yeah. Basically, any religion that Germany has outlawed, <laughs> I think belongs on the moon. <laughs> okay. That might be good right there. 